Welcome. Earth, come along with me. Oh, gnarly. Oh, my God, I shot my eye out. Please go to 11. Greetings, Starfighter. Hasta la vista, baby. Hello, everybody. Welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And this week we're talking about Pinocchio, the story about an artificial person who wants to be real that isn't a Zuckerberg biopic. Ah, He's an alien. I don't know. I think he'd be more like a... Notice I didn't say anything, Overlord. (laughs) (laughs) He He is a lizard man. I, for one, welcome our Zuckerberg leaders. (laughs) No, in case you're wondering, we are doing Pinocchio. We are watching the, we have have watched the 1940 original Disney uh, adaptation of the oldest story and are now watching the 2022 remake by Disney, live action-ish. Semi-live action. Yeah, I think ish is appropriate, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more CGI in this one than most of the other ones. Mm Mm-hmm. We will definitely get there. But yes. So uh no, welcome to the four welcome to the Pinocchio show and I'm a real boy. Listen for the noises of Joel's nose growing. That's not his nose. <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch, give us a call. Give us new ideas for shows. You can give us a call at 708 now wrap. That's 708-669-9727. You can also join the conversation on Discord by clicking the join this link in the show notes. And uh, we actually had a new member just show up literally right before we got here. Devin, welcome to this. Welcome to the channel. Welcome. Trying to figure out who you are. Other listener feedback. We have an email. Who is he? Who's Devin? Devin. Yeah, you can join and hear about things like flatulent hobbits. (laughs) Welcome to the Madhouse, Boom wise. (laughs) I'm sorry, Mr. Gandalf. I had a bunch of chili. (laughs) You know what potatoes do to me? Big McDonald, you shall not pass. <laughs> I'm mixing them up. I know. Just go with it. That's, that's Penny Hour. <laughs> All right. So yeah, we have we have an email from Tommy the Duck. Oh shit! Who says, "Hey, hey guys, might I suggest doing a Beavis and Butt?" Oh, never mind. You never listen to me. Maybe you can do a show on vacuum cleaners or something. Probably suck less than anything I could suggest. See what I did there? Glad to have you back, though. Ducks to the front, Tommy the Duck. So, Tommy, we could refer you to the Beavis and Butthead show we already did. I like the vacuum cleaner show, though. I like this idea. Wait, we haven't done a Beavis and Butthead show. No, we did not do a Beavis and Butthead show. We didn't? I was positive we had. (laughs) We didn't? Well, we have compared it to. We really should. We have not done a Beavis and Butthead show. We really should. There's not been a new Beavis and Butthead in a while. What are you talking about? Oh, wait, no, they did do the car. Yeah, that's right. And there's a series. We have had this conversation multiple times. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Are you sure we didn't do that? I am 100% sure we have not done Beavis and Butthead. He's he's right, we haven't. I'm not 100%, but I'm I'm thinking we didn't. No, because I would have remembered watching the original show or the original movie, because Laura and I watched the new show and the new movie, but I haven't watched the original in a long time, so... I agree with Mike. Fuck. Okay. I guess we can do that show. My bad, Tommy. I was positive we'd done that. But I like that idea anyway. The vacuum cleaner show? Both. Yeah. The vac- yeah. I'm, I'm hyped about the vacuum cleaner show. Give us some butthead versus vacuum. You can give us any topic. We can talk about it for an hour and a half. Actually, I'm afraid it'll suck, though. <laughs> you know what? I, I think we could expand that to cleaning and have a brand new memory show. Yeah. Ooh, 100%. spring cleaning? Yeah. I would love to talk about cleaning. Didn't we already do a cleaning show? We did a, uh, did we do a cleaning? Fuck, now I'm not sure. I hate this. 
<laughs> Too many shows. We I did cleaning, it. but we didn't do Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> let's let's do a show about all the shows we thought we did. Oh God. <laughs> Especially considering early on, I know we did one show. We did a couple shows that we didn't realize we'd already done. Yeah. And I think at one point we drafted them and Mike had picked the same things both times and had slightly different opinions. <laughs> oh, that was the uh the remake, the song uh, cover show, cover song show. Oh yeah, cover song show, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Cleaning. I'm looking in the 253. Wow. What was 253? Cleaning. The cleaning show. Oh, Jesus. We should do that. <laughs> Again. Oh, no Good memory God. of cleaning, but a clear memory of a Beavis and Butthead show that never happened. <laughs> Fuck. And what was the show we could never figure out if we actually did it or not? 2018. For that Starsky one. and Hutch. Starsky and Hutch, we could never figure out if we actually did it. I am 100% that. certain we've never done Starsky and Hutch. But I remember I'm watching the movie. certain we did. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching the movie. I did yeah. too, Patrick. Yeah, and I would not have watched that without the podcast. And right? I... And I I would have watched the movie, but I also remember watching episodes of the series because I was like, oh, check out the original Huggy Bear versus Snoop Dogg. And I remember because I have the DVDs because I bought them that I was going to use them on the Cheesy Writer. So I have the Starsky and Hutch DVDs and I watched them. Because I wouldn't have watched the original series. I think again. we did that show, but it's just gone. I don't like it's so yeah. weird. What What is going on with our with this show? We have too many shows. Mandela effect. Yep. <laughs> We need to do a Mandela show. Yeah. Like Nelson Mandela? No, the Someone Mandela is... effect. Well, ooh, yeah, the, then we'll be about Nelson Mandela, and then now we'll be about the Mandela effect. I mean, the Mandela effect is about Nelson Mandela. Right, that's what I'm saying. I, I was just clarifying I, for Joe. I we can't even tell you how and... these are the worst con- worst suggestions I've ever heard. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make the vacuum cleaner show sound great. <laughs> it's going to suck, no matter what. That's the point. <laughs> I already that, used that line. Tommy was so making Tommy. So Tommy, yes, we will we will get a Beavis and Butthead show in there. Just don't ask for a Starsky and Hutch show. We already did it, and we should be fine. Samson did it. It's the version of us that remembers the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> that uh, definitely did the Beavis and Butthead show and didn't do it. Oh my either. god, I think it's about that time. It is a hundred percent about that time. <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. Triangle strategy. <laughs> All right, so this week we're going with February 23rd, 1940, the release of the original Pinocchio. All right, so music. Uh, the number one song in the land was I'll Never Smile Again by Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra with Frank Sinatra and the Pied Pipers. I don't think I know that song, but I definitely probably, don't. Probably I hear two bars and I was like, oh, I guess I didn't know that song. Yeah, I, I, I suspect it might be that too, because, yeah, but I don't think I know it. 1940 was a, a little bit ago. You going to queue it up, Mike, or no? Um, <laughs> that's that's looking. a no. Oh, he's looking. Oh, okay. Tommy Dorsey? While he's looking that up, I'm going to say these next two bullet points I found incredibly fascinating together. Okay. No pressure. All right. Should I go- keep going, then? Keep going. All right. And if you find it, we'll do it in the next part. Uh, so, born February 19th, Smokey Robinson is an American singer, songwriter, record producer, and record executive. Robinson was the founder and frontman of the Motown vocal group, The Miracles, which he led from its 1955 origins as The Five Chimes until he retired from the group to become a solo artist. Robinson released 23 studio albums, including such hits as My Girl and The Tears of a Clown, 
and became a successful producer for other artists, including The Supremes and The Temptations. In 1987, Robinson was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist. He was awarded the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1988. I am a huge fan of Smokey Robinson. And not like Ryan. <laughs> the smoke man. Yeah, I've been known to, uh, on occasion, do Smokey Robinson songs karaoke. I can't, nice. I can't always hit all the notes, but if I'm sure my voice is high enough, I, I will knock one of those out. All right, hang, I don't... hang. here we go. Oh. Hang on. I do know this. I don't. Not sure if I do or not, but I'm digging it. So there you go. That is very young Frank Sinatra doing that with Tommy Dorsey. Very young. Uh, I don't think people realize exactly how much like influence Smokey Robinson had on music, uh, Motown specifically. Well, he was a vice president of Motown for a long time. But, you know, most people are like, oh, I like that song, you know, My Girl or whatever. But he just was a beast, man. Yeah, he was well, instrumental in Motown, almost as instrumental as Quincy himself. Yep. And I think I realize why I know that song and you guys don't seem to. From a game? Uh, does it have to do with Fallout? It does. Yep. yep. Oh. <laughs> the, ink, the Ink Spots covered it for Fallout. Uh, the Ink Spots cover of that song was in Fallout 4. Huh. All right. And then moving on to the other bullet point, which ties into the Smokey Robinson bullet point. Finally, another member of the Miracles, Robert Edward Rogers, was also born on February 19th. An American musician and Musician and tenor singer, he was a member of the Miracles until his death in 2013. In addition to singing, he also contributed to writing some of the Miracles songs, such as The Way You Do the Things You Do, My Baby, and Going to a Go-Go. He is also noted for doing co-lead vocals on the Miracles' 1962 Top 10 smash, You've Really Got a Hold on Me. I didn't realize how big an influence the Miracles were on me. Like They, they just were kind of one of those, oh, that's an oldies station band. But just like just those songs are pretty huge, right? But it's just—I thought it was just fascinating that the two mem- two members of the Miracles were born on the exact same day. Yeah, that's, that's cool. strange. Yeah, meant to be. The way you do the things you do—probably mm-hmm. my favorite Miracle song. Hmm. I like Mine is "You Really Got a Hold on Me." Yeah. Yeah, if I had to pick between those, I'm probably with Mike on that one. Hmm. But they're both really good songs. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you can pick a bad one, right? I mean, my girl's the one that I remember, like being the first one i probably stuck to memory so i'll go with that one well, isn't Committed. my girl smoky robinson though yeah but you know i'm going peripheral so, so that's that's your favorite miracle song yep smoke man <laughs> wanted it that way <laughs> all right moving on to movies uh the number one movie in the land predictably was pinocchio we'll have more to say about that soon i guess All right, born on February 23rd, Peter Henry Fonda was the son of Henry Fonda, younger brother of Jane Fonda, and father of Bridget Fonda. Along with being an actor like the rest of his family, he was a prominent figure in 1960s counterculture. He was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for Easy Rider and the Academy Award for Best Actor for Uli's Gold. Is that Uli or Yuli? Yuli's. Yuli, I think. Yuli's Gold. For the latter, he won a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor motion picture drama. Fonda also won a Golden Globe Award for the acronym of the week, which is T-P-O-A-R, which I'm pretty sure stands for the penis of Alan Rickman. Oh, rest you in know, peace. Peter Fonda would probably do that movie. So so they made a whole movie about like him after Dogma? Yep. There you go. Smooth. No, that was, that was the, the passion of 
Ayn Rand. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right. I've never seen it, heard of it, or anything. Right? Uh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that there was a... I mean, is it a, a, a biopic about her? Yeah. Well, it's a TV movie. Oh. Uh, and Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. I don't know. Nah-ha. I get that. Nah-ha. Get it? Ayn Rand reference. This is kind of a weird mix. Helen Mirren, Eric Stoltz, Peter Fonda, David Ferry. Kind of a weird mix there. Smokey Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> weird. TV. There is no television ratings for 1940, so there were no top shows in the land. But there probably were variety shows. That's Yeah, right? Yeah. And sponsored by a cigarette company. It was a, it was a Western or a variety show. One yeah. or the other. Nine out of ten doctors agree Parliament is the way to smoke. <laughs> Jimmy Bomb JoJo's show for kids, sponsored by Malboro. <laughs> Philip Philip Morris's prenatal cigarettes make that baby come out faster. Oh jeez. <laughs> right. So Peter Ellstrom Duel Duel, born February twenty fourth, was known professionally as Pete Duel, an American stage, television, and film actor. He worked in movies and television, making small guest appearances in comedies such as Gomer Pyle, USMC, Combat. You gotta say it because it's got an exclamation point. Love on a Rooftop, Bonanza, Ironside, and Marcus Welby, MD. He also made feature films during this time, beginning with The Hell with Heroes, Generation, and Cannon for Cordoba. His two biggest roles were as Gidget's brother-in-law, John Cooper, on Gidget, and the outlaw Hannibal Hayes, alias Joshua Smith, <gasps> opposite Ben Murphy's Kid Curry in Alias Smith and Jones, a lighthearted Western about the exploits of the two outlaws. I got to say, I, I appreciate that I'm not the only person that feels the urge to yell anything that has an exclamation point at the end of its title. Well, if it's combat, I mean, if it was just combat, it'd be just combat. It's combat. Yeah, anytime that comes up, I do that. I know it's like a lame dad joke, but like I do it every time. So I'm glad I'm not the only one. That's incredible. Combat? (laughs) Misreads it as a question mark. (laughs) I like that one. Also, Howard Hessman, (gasps) born February 27th, was an American actor known for his roles as a burned out DJ Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP in Cincinnati and the history teacher Charlie Moore on Head of the Class. He appeared regularly on television and in film from the 70s to the 2010s with other noteworthy roles, including Sam Royer, the husband of lead character Anna Romano, and the last two seasons of One Day at a Time, and a supporting role as Captain Pete Lassard as a f- in the film Police Academy 2, their first assignment. And he was Uncle Meat in Halloween 2. He died not too long ago, didn't he? Uh, I feel like that's accurate. Yeah, he died, he died in, two, uh, in 22 okay. this year. I almost made that the acronym of the week, the police. Oh, wow. Movie. Yeah, January 29th, like literally right at the beginning of 2022. Oh, that's sad. That's a good thing you didn't deprive us of Alan Rickman's penis. So. <laughs> Story he of my life. Died <laughs> from complications of colon surgery. Ooh, uh-huh. Sad news is it wasn't even his surgery. It wasn't his colon. It was colons. <laughs> colon mockery. I was thinking colon Powell, but whatever. Oh, yeah, there you go. All right. Colin, Colin, Colin. Keep them talking. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> That's what they get for using the triangle strategy during that surgery. Man, that combat swollen, right? I don't know. Combat! Combat? <laughs> I think I like it off the rails. I, I'm going to make no effort to put us back on. <laughs> All right. When you've completely lost control. I'm going to try and get this ship ship back on course here. Oh, God. Here we go. Moving on to sports. 
Ronard Edward Santo, born February 25th. Ronard? Who's Ronard? I was so hoping that I didn't say that. I was like, did I mispronounce that? <laughs> Ronard, that's Ronald McDonald's Taiwanese cousin. <laughs> I literally was in my head as I'm reading going, did I you, say Ronard? <laughs> you know Joel won't let that pass. For as much crap as we give him mispronouncing things like tree. You should jump on that because I, yeah. I was like, if it's a cricketer, like, you know, I could see a guy named Ronard. No, no, he was, I'm going to just go ahead and edit all this out. You know, yeah, sure. No. Ronald! Ronald Edward Santo, born February 25th, was an MLB third baseman who played for the Chicago Cubs from 1960 through 1973 and the Chicago White Sox in 1974. Santo was an all-star for nine seasons during his 15-year career. He led the NL in triples once, walks four times, and on-base percentage twice, and he batted 300 or more and hit 30 or more home runs four times each, and is the only third baseman in MLB history to post eight consecutive seasons with over 90 RBIs. He was also a Golden Glove Award winner for five consecutive seasons. In 1990, Santo became a member of the Cubs broadcasting team, providing commentary for Cubs games until his death in 2010. In 1999, he was selected to the Cubs All-Century team, and he was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 2012. Wow. That's a hell of a career. Yeah. Yep. There's a reason they retired his number, didn't they? Right. Yeah, he's a big Cub Cub name. If you're a Cubs fan, you should know that name, Ron Santo. And lastly, uh, the last two bullet points. On February 28th, the first televised basketball game aired, and it was a college game between the University of Pittsburgh and Fordham University. Pittsburgh won 50 to 37 in a barn burner. But it was actually played in a barn? No. No. Oh. Yeah. Bar- barn burner is a term used for a very close, exciting game, and 50 to 37 is not that. I was, I was being sarcastic. Well, I just figured it was 1940, so maybe they did play in a barn and it was on fire. I no, I, it was a, yeah. As soon as you asked, I was like, that's that's not really that that bad of a question. And then I mean, it could have, it really could have been in a barn. It's not a it's not a zero percent chance. And then lastly, on February 25th, the first ice hockey game was televised in the U.S., featuring the New York Rangers versus Montreal Canadiens from Montreal from Madison Square Garden. The Rangers won six to two. Beat them, Canadians. Yep. But that's the twee. Play us off, keyboard, Joel. All right, so it's 1940, and Disney was going to produce their second animated feature, Bambi, but the animators were having a hard time figuring out how to get the animals to run, move, and do all that like real animals. So Peanut butter wasn't working. Yeah. Um. You can't put peanut butter on the cells. Shouldn't. <laughs> you probably yeah, could. Right. <laughs> so they wound up doing Pinocchio. I think I've got a little bit more about that later on in the show notes. But this is, again, like I said, 1940. Supervising directors are Ben Sharpstein, who did Snow White, Fantasia, Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, Cinderella. He's all over the place in there. And then Hamilton Lusk, who uh, also directed The Reluctant Dragon. Saludos Amigos, Lady and the Tramp. One of my favorites, Donald and Math Magic Land. The only reason that's one of my favorites because I remember watching that every now and then the teacher would get like not have their lessons together and we get to watch that instead. Or be hungover. <laughs> or be hungover, yeah. Was that like in between playing games of math? <laughs> I was thinking it. You know what's amazing is the video game show is like episode three. <laughs> and we're right? still it's calling still... back. Yes. I had math, the video game for my Atari. It uh, yep. sucked. 
It was. Oh. I think that was the first time in the show, uh, not the last, but the first, where you mentioned something that you thought was universal, and all <laughs> of us are just like, "What are you talking about?" Hey, you never played math on the Atari, and you know. You mean, you mean you don't have a poop knife? You mean you don't do a tur- turkey carcass in the backyard? In my defense, all except for the poop knife. <laughs> Those things. I was if you're going to refute that. Oh, you should leave uh, it hanging there. This is things that I thought that people did. Anyway, this is based off of a children's novel. I know other people with poop knives, so it's okay. God, I do actually know I, other people with. Poop I'm knives. muting you. <laughs> you got a poop knife. You're not leaving it hanging there. You can just chop. <laughs> I was defending you on that one. Oh well. Oh, man. Uh, oh, I love when we do kids' movies. Uh, Animated musical family film based on the 1883 Italian children's novel, The Adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi. So this plot involves the woodcarver named Geppetto, who carves a wooden puppet named Pinocchio, brought to life by the Blue Fairy, becomes a real boy if he's brave, truthful, and unselfish. And then he winds up immediately getting sidetracked because Jiminy Cricket's too busy trying to mack on one of Geppetto's carvings and uh, winds up getting almost turned into a uh, donkey, gets attacked and sidetracked and held prison by a scary gypsy puppeteer and all sorts of stuff happens. So early scenes were animated by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. Uh, If you know those names, if you've seen the, these are the two guys sitting on the bench at the end of The Incredibles, Frank and Ollie. They show that Pinocchio's design was exactly like that of a real wooden puppet with a long pointed nose, the pea hat and bare wooden hands. However, Walt did not like that and uh, felt that nobody could really sympathize with it, stop production, and then had Fred Moore redesign it to make him more appealing, but still, uh, you know, still look like a puppet. Yes. So uh, Moore did such things as the mermaids in the lagoon and Peter Pan. He did scenes of the White Rabbit and Alice in Wonderland. So he was one of the crew uh, one of the strange things about one of the strange things, 1940, uh, there were absolutely no credits for any of the voices in this. If you notice that in the very beginning, they, even though they had characters, people doing voices, they were actually pretty famous at the time. So they had Dick Jones as Pinocchio, uh, who was a B-Western, whatchamacallit, a B-Western actor. So he was in the Hopple and Cassidy film, The Frontiersman, and, but he is known for being the voice of uh, Pinocchio. I think he's also the head of Omnicorp. That's another movie. Okay. I don't know that one. Robocop. Oh, that's right. I haven't seen, I literally have not seen Robocop since we did the Robocop show. But that was the character's name, Dick. <clears throat> Got it. Okay. Cliff Edwards did Jiminy Cricket, who acts as Pinocchio's conscience and is partly the narrator of this. Cliff Edwards was also nicknamed Ukulele Ike, and he was a singer, musician, and actor, and he had a number one hit in 1929 called Singing in the Rain. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Never heard of it. No? No, you should you should look it up, man. I think you might dig that one. Christian Rubb, which is kind of an awful name, uh, did the voice of Geppetto, a kind and elderly woodcarver, and he speaks with a Austrian accent. Kind of looks like him, if you put him in more of the 1950s, 40s, 50s look. And his first movie that he was in was in 1919, and his final movie was uh, 1952. Yeah, Christian rub sounds like barbecue seasoning for lions. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I see what she did there. But no, he did some stuff. He like Mr. Uh, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, Earthbound, 
something called the Dog of Flanders. All everything right. ha- everything happens at night. Swiss Family Robinson. You know, he he definitely has a long and storied career. Clarence Nash was Figaro, Geppetto's spoiled little cat who was prone to jealousy. Uh, with <laughs> I guess he was jealous of the goldfish, who was entirely too like saucy for a goldfish than a goldfish should be. The fish goldfish got ch- like chocolate cake in this. The fish only got fit, or the cat only got fish. Like, is that maybe to keep him from eating the fish, eating Goldie? Maybe. He just wanted that chocolate cake, man. Yeah. Clarence Nash also did, <laughs> he started, he did a Voices of Billy Goat impersonations and then would do Donald Duck for the next 51 years. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time to do one character. Sorry. Right. I know Walter Catlett as the uh, Red Fox. Honest John, or actually his full name is Honest John Worthington Fowlfellow, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, he started out in vaudeville. He was actually in the movie version of The Front Page. Oh, nice. Back in ni- 1931. Well, he was reported to have been Catherine Hepburn's comedy coach for the movie Bringing Up Baby also, which is very cool. Bringing Up Baby is one of my favorite movies, too. Giddy Giddy and the Cat is actually voiced by Mel Blanc. Mel, I'm sorry, Mel Blanc. Wow. But they had a whole bunch of recording, a whole bunch of voiceover for that. Then uh, old Walt decided he didn't like it, and the only voice they used from it was a one hiccup track that Mel Blanc did for for the cat. What a, what a great use of a great talent. Well, also Walt Disney. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of catty. Well, I mean, he had a singular vision, and it obviously paid off. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, they the Disney Corporation owns pretty much everything, so, like, who are we to fucking Monday morning quarterback him? Right. I'm not joining in this, my overlords. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charles Judels as Stromboli, the puppeteer who forces Pinocchio to perform on stage, he also did the voice of the coachman, who was the owner and operator of Pleasure Island, he has he did 130 films between 1915 to 1949. Damn. Yeah. And who can forget him as the Renescaler in Knickerbocker Holiday? Oh, such a great role. Yeah. But actually, what you will remember him from is Casey Bats again. Remember the uh, the Casey Jones cartoon from Walt Disney where his daughters are playing? I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. He's the narrator for that one. So. Moving on, Evelyn Venable is the Blue Fairy, who, if you take a picture of Evelyn Venable and put it up against the Blue Fairy, guess what? Looks exactly like her. She was born in 1913, has done multiple movies, not as much, nearly as much as the other one, but she was in stuff like Lucky Cisco Kid in 1940. Her last movie was 1947's Fright Night, which was not what you think it is. It's actually a Three Stooges short. Yeah. Yeah. Frankie Darrow was Lampwick, a spoiled boy who smokes the cigars and turns into a jackass. Yeah. Uh, he was also in the movie Three on a Match and in the in the principal character in James Cagney's directed film Mayor of Hell. Stuart Buchanan was a carnival barker and the voice of Monstro was no one other than Thurl Ravenscroft, mm. which... Guy had an amazing voice. Guy had an amazing name, and uh, was the guy who sang "You're You're a Mean One, Mister Grinch" from yep. oh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That's why I know that name. I was yep. gonna say, how can you forget that name? 
Well, I just knew I recognized it, but I was trying to figure out why. Oh, yeah. He also is got voices in everything, a bunch, all these things from Walt Disney World, from The Haunted Mansion. He's one of the singing busts. He's got uh, voices in Country Bear Jamboree, The Mark Twain Riverboat, Pirates of the Caribbean, Disneyland Railroad, and he is Fritz in Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. There yeah, I know we've talked about Thurl Ravenscroft before on this show. Yeah. He started, in, he was born in 1914 and passed away in 2005 at age 91. So yeah, good on old Thurl. It's always good to see his name pop up. Trivia. Although this was received critical acclaim and became the first animated feature to win a competitive Academy Award, winning for Best Music Original Score and for Best Music Original Song for When You Wish Upon a Star, it initially was a box office bomb, mainly to the fact that World War II was going on and there weren't a lot of movies being shown in the European and Asian markets. Uh, It eventually made a profit when it was re-released in 1945 and went on to be considered one of the greatest animated films ever made with a 100% rating on the Rotten Tomatoes. Huh. I don't know that I'd go... I would. I don't think I'd go that far. A 100% rating? No, calling it the greatest animated film, or one of the greatest animated No, one, one of. One of the greatest? I think it very clearly yeah. is. Yeah, it definitely is one of the greatest animated films. I'm sorry, Joel, what, did, what do you think should be up there instead? Everything else. <laughs> I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't say it. You, you have to... Well, we'll get there. Spoilers. Working models for all of Geppetto's cuckoo clocks were built as guides for the animators. What? Why? Why not? He's Disney. That's insane. Tell him no. It's insanity. They were very detail-oriented and that kind of thing, that kind of detail, and you compare it to other animation of the day, is one of the arguments for why this was so great for its time. Yeah. Should have just made a live action when he got all the set pieces, you know? Also, the task of designing Jiminy Cricket was passed on to Ward Kimball, his first assignment as an animation director. He originally designed the character to look more like a real cricket, but Walt Disney found the result too gross and demanded that he be made cute. Kimball ultimately removed all the insect-like features and turned Jiminy into a little green man with an oversized head, wearing a gentlemanly outfit the animator borrowed from the logo of Johnny Walker Scotch Whiskey. (laughs) Nice. Which... (laughs) I suppose if Walt Disney's up your ass about drawing a cricket, you probably had a couple bottles of those laying around anyway. So uh, Disney was pleased, even though the character no longer resembled a bug. Per common Disney practice, he rather resembles his voice actor, Cliff Edwards, though perhaps it's the other way around. In later years, Kimball expressed unhappiness with the compromises in Jiminy's design, saying the audience accepts him as a cricket because the other characters say he is a cricket. He's not wrong. He makes a cricket noise sometimes, you know. And the original drawing, like you can find the uh, concept art for the uh, Ward Kimball version, is not horrifying. It's fine. But like I said, uh, Disney sticking to his vision obviously paid off. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to look it up. Oh, there it is. Yeah, that's not horrifying or disgusting or whatever. Gross. Gross, yeah. I apologize, my overlord, but I have to disagree with you. Well, Nice knowing you, Joel. Yep, now the head of Walt Disney is coming for you. On his animatronic spider body. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Get a little ahead. Yeah. Let me just note that down to take that out. And <laughs> is this a first viewing for anybody? Uh, I think it might be for me. Wh- what? What? I don't, I mean. Remember, Patrick was never a child. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's right. I 
I may have watched this when I was a kid. I even asked my mom this afternoon if I ever watched it when I was a kid, but she couldn't recall. She said probably, most likely. She's like, how would I know? But I don't, and I know I've never seen it as an adult at all. Huh. Yeah, I'm a little, uh, yeah. Uh, no, definitely not a first viewing for me. Yeah, I I don't think, aside from some really obscure things, there's anything Disney I haven't seen at least once. Remember seeing this in the theater, actually. Re-release. In 1940? Oh. Yes, I'm a time traveler. <laughs> that's that's what I do. I go. I have the I have the power of time travel, and I use it to go back to see movies original when they were Disney original movies. original Disney movies and their release dates. See, that's not the decision I question. If you're a time traveler, I question you being here now. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in in the realm of time better than doing this podcast right now. Yeah, it's all for you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> to make 2022 survivable. <laughs> No, this is definitely not my first viewing, but while I do think this is a groundbreaking film for the animation genre, and just like you said before, the amount of detail that was put into the animation, the amount of work that was made into these individual cells compared to, compared to stuff that was released at the same time, this was astounding to see this on, on, the, on the big screen. Yeah, and I think uh, you look at a lot of the other early Disney work that are adaptations of classic myths, legends, and fairy tales. A lot of them, even the old ones, feel very smoothed over to present a family-friendly experience. And this, to me, has that classic folktale feel, even if it is not super accurate. Like, there was the first time that it occurred to me that, like... Geppetto is not an Austrian name. This is very clearly an Italian story. So it's a mm-hmm. weird choice to have him talk like a German clockmaker. Well, I submit, I don't know. <laughs> like, do we have him talk like the Italians? We have him, it's World War II's going on. Yeah, they're our friends, but they're fascists. That's a fair point that uh, there, there are going to be some sentiments about the Italians and Americans traditionally are not great with Italian accents. No. They, they they tend to devolve into parody pretty quickly. Oh, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. That's what I expected it to. It's a pizza bone. <laughs> Mario. I mean, I am not at all going to disagree that this is a beautiful movie. Not not by any stretch. I'm not. That's not the hill I'm going to uh, wage war upon. What are you going to fight? Oh, this movie sucked. I mean, it yeah. was. It was just the the plot was was crap. Jiminy Cricket is annoying as shit. Geppetto makes the dumbest decisions that you can make as a as an individual and as a father. Um, it just the whole movie it it just felt like a bad like it was just a badly written series of vignettes sewn together loosely to make a quote unquote movie out of a story that wasn't even really all that it that could have been interesting but was not told in an interesting way at all. Well, go ahead, Joel, because I'll respond, but uh, it sounds like you are more on Patrick's side of this, so I want to hear you too. Well, I've honestly never been a fan of the story of Pinocchio. Um, I've I've seen this movie before, and it's never held any interest for me. Whether or not it is one of the greatest animated films of all time, or the animation is beautiful, or whatever, if I don't care about the story, eh, you know. I'll yeah, watch Avatar, it. Avatar was the same way for me. Yeah, it's beautiful, but you know what? If I want to watch something beautiful with no storyline, I'll go to an amusement park or a theme park or something. Yeah, I, I just go to a movie for a story. I've never found the story compelling. The characters, anything. It's just I, I, I just I don't get the appeal. I, guess. I mean, it's a story about an inanimate object coming to life, and you manage to make it just goofy, over the top, and not interesting. You know, it's like 
I mean, the, okay, you, your puppet comes to life, and your first instinct is to send it to school. That okay, that is kind of effed up. But I think you guys are missing the point. This is a straight retelling of a classical myth, which is a mora- straight morality tale about all of the pitfalls that can happen if you don't watch your kids close enough and if they don't make good decisions. Yeah, if I mean, you don't if you, if you don't take care of them, they'll turn into donkeys. Yeah, I mean that's obviously it's over uh exaggerated but that's uh like pleasure island is definitely a hey you let your children run wild they do whatever they want and they turn into these unrecognizable monsters those sorts of lessons are what fairy tales used to be and that's one of the things i appreciate about it is that's a specific style of storytelling from a time in history and they decided to tell it straight Unlike a lot of the other Disney classics where they smooth it over to tell a more clean three act traditional story that, that is easier to watch. I, I kind of like the fact that this is a direct retelling of like the old school fairy tales that just have a lesson. And I'm not I'm not going to appreciate when somebody doesn't go to the trouble of making something more enjoyable by making it coherent and, and follow a plot line. Like just be you know, just the, the excuse of you're sticking to the original material is kind of lazy in my opinion. Say, like, I'm not gonna make this better, I'm just gonna do it the way it was written, you know, X amount of years ago. It's like, well, they didn't understand you know, like the years have progressed and we've learned things about storytelling, like you should incorporate that. No, I'm just gonna stick with this this bullet point crap, you know. To, That's to, a strong kind of oh. I was going to say, to kind of, kind of, I don't say counter what you were saying, Josh, about the original story. So Collodi, it's it's reported that the guy who wrote this, Collodi, really just hated kids. <laughs> that he, and he was writing these stories. He he was originally supposed to be, then. Yeah, he originally was going to the seminary and gave that up after the founding of, what did it say here? It was the, the, the founding Mormons? of the kingdom of Italy. He resigned oh. from, he was going to be a priest and tamp and did a little journalism on the side, but once they founded the kingdom of Italy, he resigned from both those things and started writing children's stories. And all of his stories that he wrote were leaning in the way of you better do this or your life's going to get screwed up for the rest of it. And this one was, there was a lot of focus in the original story on going to school. And during this uh, story, he actually refers to Pinocchio as a disgrace and a rogue through his writing. And Colody actually confirmed he never wanted he never had children he never wanted to have children so was pinocchio the first anti-hero he might have been but Wait. this is what he thought of kids <laughs> in his head the kids are really had no respect and no love and didn't didn't care about the people that actually took care of them and he was this was a push to go to school otherwise you're going to wind up as a donkey and obviously they sanitized it, but uh, my, my point is that all of your classic fairy tales are morality tales at their at their whole. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, the Brothers Grimm are a hundred percent like things like Aesop, that. same thing. Yeah, yeah. And the argument that telling it straight is bad or lazy is stronger if this had failed, and it very clearly didn't. True. And one more thing I want to add in here is during the writing of this in the late 1800s, the word donkey in Italian had a dual meaning, well, triple meaning, because obviously it meant donkey also, but also meant blue collar workers that have to work every day to earn a wage. And the other side of the, the meaning was children who refuse to attend school or don't study. So you better go to school or you're going to wind up a donkey. You're going to wind up working for your wages every day type of thing. Yeah, and I don't necessarily agree with the uh, anti-blue-collar sentiment. I just appreciate that this is less 
This is less sanitized than some of the other interpretations of oh yeah, hundred percent from early Disney. And I went to school, and I still work every day for my wages. <laughs> You're still a donkey. <laughs> hey, Shrek. Let, let's face it. You work at Pleasure Island. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he's not wrong. Way to bring it back. Pleasure Island was friggin' terrifying to me as a kid. I remember kind of losing it when they when um the one kid turned into the donkey. And they like, uh-huh. and they only showed it in the shadow. That was, I think, very effective. And then later on, what was? Did I write what down with the name of the kid? Lampwick or whatever. Lampwick. No, Lampwick was the one. The no, Lampwick turned fully into the donkey. But at the end of it, remember the uh, stagecoach driver had there. There was that one donkey that was still wearing clothes and was crying that he wanted to go back to his mama. Yes. Yeah, that's that, that's that's not fucked up. Yeah, that's. I mean. Again, I think it does fall into the whole like, hey, we want to kid tell the kids a morality story. What's a good way to do this? Let's just scar them. Yeah. Mentally yeah. scar them. Honestly, most of my favorite Disney memories, and I, I've made no secret of the fact that I'm a Disney guy, like through and through, uh, are when Disney, especially in the early days, like decided to be fucking scary. <laughs> like, oh, I yeah. remember uh, going to Disney World and on the Snow White ride, there's uh, when you uh, get really close to the magic mirror and uh, you see the evil queen turn around to look at you and turn into the witch. It's one of those things that it sears into your brain as a little mm-hmm. kid because it's fucking terrifying. But now I look back on it and I'm like, oh, my God, I hated that. It, it's a core memory that somehow has gone from childhood drama to something that's pleasant for me now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they kept doing that for a while. I remember we did the uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes episode. That old, even mid 80s, that movie was pretty freaking terrifying. Yeah. Like that guy aging so fast on the on the uh, carousel. I mean, it, Disney's always up. I mean, up until recently, has been pretty hardcore with the delivering the message type of thing. And yeah, I I wouldn't say until recently because like you look at Moana, they're telling different messages like the value of family, the value of sticking up for yourself. It's just a different style of uh, morality tale, and not necessarily as scary. Although like looking at Moana, there's still some scary stuff in modern disney uh you you may not have mr toad's wild ride where you literally drive into hell that that was a thing i thanks for bringing that one back that's yep (laughs) i love that ride despite the fact that every time you burst through the door and you realize oh my god we died and went to hell and look there are demons everywhere it's like that's kind of fucked up (laughs) yeah i i don't know that's some of the classic disney i go back and watch and uh uh, like I like scary classic Disney. If we're talking stuff they don't do as much, racist classic Disney, not so much. <laughs> yeah, you can keep the song in the south. So yeah, I just, I mean, overall, I I found this movie uninteresting and and just it was too much of like a mishmash. It's like, oh, now they're doing this. Oh, now they're doing this. Oh, now they're doing this. Like there was, it was just like I said, it was poorly sewn together. It was a beautiful movie, but like they should have spent more time. I I even I don't care that they stuck to the original story. They should have spent a little more time fleshing it out, which clearly was not just the only answer because that's what they did in the new one, and it still didn't work. So I mean, there's there's a lot of loosey goosey with things happening in here, like like when um, Stromboli leaves, he passes every major character in this. Uh, story as as his stagecoach leaves the town he passes up jiminy cricket he passes up geppetto you know you know and just manages to get jiminy cricket back on board when just when he's 
screwed up in his job one more time. Yeah, Jiminy is the worst. I mean, he really is. Yeah. He, he, he relies on luck all the time to save him. He didn't want the job to begin with. He was a hobo. He was happy. <laughs> and he's a cricket. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 not known way, for their work ethic. He's way too much bad vaudeville, Jiminy Cricket. His job is to annoy the shit out of you again, stuck in your garage. That's it. That's <laughs> oh. his job. I gotta call, tell you, women, call for other female grasshoppers to fuck. We we have like six crickets in the house right now. Ooh, so that hits home for Josh. You got I a lot don't of know. Yeah, apparently. I, I have killed three and still how, every how night. How many of them are your conscience? Uh, I, I wouldn't know. Well, he keeps killing <laughs> them, so. Yeah, you didn't like you killed that one, apparently. send in another. Yeah, every time I think I got the last cricket because it decided to wander into the middle of the kitchen. Then a couple hours later, the noises again. <laughs> one one thing I do have an issue with on this one, and also for the for the newer one, the whole rule of animals is kind of sketchy. Yeah, like yeah. why is why is Figaro a pet, Goldie a pet, but Honest John and his cat are walking around fully dressed and talking and talking. Well, yeah, talking and all that. I mean, what there's there's kind of like. And everybody's fine with the fox walking around and talking, but a puppet without strings walking around freaks everybody out. Well, they sort of address it in the new one with the bird that when Geppetto talks to it, it just goes, ah, ah, or whatever. But then when Jiminy talks to it, she's like, hey there, how you doing? Baba doo doo. Well, that doesn't explain anything, though. Why is. And and how is a a puppet smoking and drinking? Same way you are. How is a puppet crying? He's he's locked in the cage and he's crying. He's made of wood. Unless that was sap, that ain't happening. I'm a puppet. I just I just this movie was pretty and that was about it. Everything else I just did not care for. I just anytime there's something like that you don't understand, a wizard did it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's because he's uh, magical. That's why. And the whole nose growing thing. Okay. What I learned from that is if you need to get something, tell a bunch of lies and that'll help you get it. I mean. <laughs> Not a good lesson, but not entirely <laughs> always not, fair. Not an incorrect lesson. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he got the keys from across the across the uh, the ca- the room. But and the other side is, what kind of weird ass magic is going on with his nose? Right. Why is that one of his superpowers? He right. can grow his nose, which great. It grew into a tree. Fine. Where do the birds come from? Yeah, well, like you gotta I'm, be like all the ladies are probably trying to sit on your face at that point. You know, when a mama bird and a dad a bird love each other very much. Oh my God! Why did they come out of his nose? That's where babies come from, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) That's the triangle strategy. Triangle strategy of nasal birth. (laughs) That's that's book two in the series. Write that in the sentences that have never been said before. I think think, think Josh is is putting the kibosh on this. (laughs) No, I was just like, there could not be a clearer sign that we need to break into talking about the newest one. than that yeah this is horrible this i did not i i, I cannot believe this has a 100 percent rating i i find that okay just, a 100 percent rating on critics yeah but i i mean still 73 I, on you're human supposed beings to be, you're supposed to be unbiased you're not supposed to just be like oh i love this because it's because of its place in history but it's just objectively not a good movie that is the definition of subjective it's not objectively a bad movie. Just because you as Patrick you, don't like it. I'm <laughs> telling you that this is a bad movie. Like you're all looking to at it through like rose-colored glasses. It's not a good movie. Just storytelling wise, it's just not good. Maybe it just hits too close to home. 
Uh, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, like if it were objectively bad, it would not be the overwhelming success it is. And I know that success is not an indication. No, of the quality. world is wrong, and I am correct. <laughs> you would think that pattern recognition with results would tell you differently. <laughs> That's a triangle. All right, we are going to take a break while Patrick reflects on decisions. <laughs> And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the 2022 Pinocchio. Yeah. I loved it. Okay, we are back. And we are going to talk about the 2022 Disney remake of their own movie directed by Robert Zemeckis. Who? I know, right? This rash newcomer to the film scene. Upstart. If you haven't, please tell me. Listeners, if you don't know Robert Zemeckis, Back to the Future. There you go. And Chris Weitz. Wise? Chris Wise. Weitz. Weitz. See the whites of his eyes. Ah. Uh, Who's also writer for About a Boy and Rogue One. And oh, the Golden Company. Nutty, oh. Nutty Professor 2 and yeah. yeah. So I just watched Rogue One on IMAX. Oh, that was that'd be cool. It was very That's cool. good timing with the uh, Andor series coming out pretty soon. Right. He like also week. was the co-star of Chuck and Buck, which if you've never seen it, is a very strange movie. So Pinocchio. Yep. <laughs> currently sitting very strange. A twenty eight thirty six percent. That's pretty close to, to the original. Yeah, close. that yeah, hundred percent, seventy six, totally close. Uh, the stars: Tom Hanks, who as Geppetto, who read all his lines in a week and went home. Cynthia Erivo er, as the Blue Fairy. Uh, also got Giuseppe Battiston Battiston as Stromboli. Kian Lamea as Fabina, the former ballerina. Oh wow, that's nice. That's very poetic. Yeah, who was not in the original. Or in the story, Jamie Demertu, Dimitri, Dimitriu, I don't know, as a headmaster who throws Pinocchio out of school be, due to the fact he's a puppet. Angus writes, right as Signor Rizzi, Sheila Tim as Signora Vitelli, Luke Evans as the coachman, Lewin Lloyd as Lampwick, the only New Jersey kid in Italy. No, it's from Old Jersey. Old Jersey. Oh, okay. Ah. Jersey. It's Jersey from the fatherland. Uh, Benjamin Evan Ainsworth as Pinocchio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jiminy Cricket, doing his best damn Jiminy Cricket voice. I will give him that. Lorraine Brocchio as Sophia, the seagull, Keenan-Michael Key as I Honest John, and, oh, jeez, Jaquia Talea Sabina as Fabiana's puppet. I am probably mispronounced that, but all apologies. Uh, Though Figaro the Cat, Cleo the Goldfish, and Monstro also appear, they do not have voices. Trivia. I don't know if you noticed this, but Geppetto's Cuckoo Clocks are a collection of previous Disney characters. Woody Very and subtle. Right? Barely even noticed that. Um, I mean, but I mean, did you notice in the very beginning of the first one, there was Sleeping Beauty is one of the books that was up there? Yes. Sleep, yeah, I thought Sleeping, it was fun. Yeah, uh, Sleeping Beauty and uh, uh, Snow White were the yep. two other books that were on there. So kind of a callback. Yep. But Archimedes, The Lion King, Princess Aurora, Maleficent... Sleeping Beauty, Dumbo, Snow White, Seven Dwarfs, all those. Honestly, the only one of those that stuck out to me was Woody. 
Because even uh, Roger and Jessica Rabbit were in a style that you could say, okay, yeah, this could be two different characters that are period appropriate. The cowboy was the only one that was weird to me. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Well, that makes I, sense. I, I noticed almost every one of them. I mean, there were a couple of them that slipped by me. Well, yeah. I noticed them, but he that was the one that I was like, that looks wrong. Oh, I see what you're saying. It stuck out. Yeah. 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 Uh, the painted castle backdrop in Stromboli's puppet show was the castle from Sleeping Beauty. Yep. I noticed that. And this is based on the book Le Adventure di Pinocchio, Story di un Buratano, Pinocchio's Adventures, Story of a Puppet. As we talked about earlier, originally released as a collection of stories between 1881 and 1882-83 by Italian author Carlo Lorenzi from Florence. The name we had earlier, Twist, is actually a pseudonym. He went by a different name. Lorenzi is mostly known as Carlo Collodi because Collodi is a town in Tuscany where the author's mother was from. So there you go. And if you go to Collodi, you could go to Parco do Pinocchio, which is a theme park called Pinocchio's Park, which if if it's based off the book, is probably terrifying. (laughs) Ride Geppetto's mustache ride. (laughs) So yeah, Disney remade another one. So there's a narrative that all of the Disney live action remakes suck. And I think people go into each one of these like expecting them to suck. And you know, this is not great, but I honestly think people are dogging on it worse than it deserves. Like, I'm not going to say this was amazing, but my levels were set for what my expectation was at a certain spot. And it was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. I went into this going, okay, Tom Hanks. I like Tom Hanks. I'm like, Robert Zemeckis. I enjoy his work. All right, let's see what happens. And I found myself enjoying it actually more than the original in some parts. However, the ending? Fuck you. Fuck you. The end. All right. What about you guys? I mean, it's 80% middling CGI is uh, my biggest issue with it. Like the, the CGI is not awful, but it's nothing special. And it's most of the movie. And it's so blatantly obvious that it's CGI. Yeah. And f- why did... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think what they should have done with Honest John and uh, Gideon, made they, they were too realistic. They should have toned it back a little, made them a little bit more cartoony. I mean, they... Like the fish. Yeah, yeah. The fish, again, fish is really sultry in this. Uh, yeah. That's that, right. A little, little too sexy for a fish. A little too sexy for a goldfish, yeah. But looking more like the original character than Honest John did. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, but why did they go full on monster for monster? Why did they go shark to puss? Why didn't they stick to <laughs> the whale? Oh, was yeah, that you your problem with creature. the ending? No, yeah. no. My problem with the ending what? was the. Are we? I guess we're. Are we calling this brand new yeah, movie? Who, are we calling it, spoilers it, or no? Seriously, it, no. How are you still asking that after ten right. years? Well, when it's a brand new movie that just came out like a week ago, it's a little different than a movie that's like ten years old. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I mean, yeah. thing. they come into your, it's your thing. They come into this expecting it. We're we're saving them the pain of having to watch this. In the original 1940, you see him become a real boy. There's a moment of them, you know, together as a family with him as a real boy. This one, they're like, he might have become a real boy. Blur, blur, blur. Jerk off in your face. Oh, now I got (laughs) cum in my eye. And they just show the kid from the back kind of turning into a boy, sort of. And then they go to like like a drawn picture of him. And then they, they... they just kind of leave it up in the air in this ambiguous indie film, you know, 
I'm a college student, so I'm going to be hip kind of thing. So, so that was your problem with the ending That's, as well. It, yeah. it wasn't the like he suddenly turned into a speedboat and was able to. <laughs> that would have been <laughs> an ending. Like if he turned into a speedboat and then Sandra oh. Bullock and Jason Patrick had to stop him from being taken. I mean, over he just he basically like motorboated like and outran that 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 that, whole, that sea monster thing. That that whole ending was dumb. Like from the and, from the moment he tied up to the seagull. And like was was surfing, yeah, or jet ski into his dad, and managed to find his dad on the ocean, and then the the creature managed to find them, and then the whole dumb, like horrible, dumb, like yeah, dumb. The, the the action parts were not my favorite bit, but I don't have an issue, the same issue Joel does, and I think I can. It may not change your mind on it, but I can explain what I think they were going for. You spend the entire movie. Up till the last scene when he's talking to Geppetto, saying it's okay for him to be what he is. And then the traditional ending is he becomes a real boy and isn't that anymore. I think they were trying to resolve the uh, the contradiction there. It's like you can't say it's okay for him to be a puppet. It's okay for him to be himself. And then immediately say, well, he's a real boy now. It kind of takes some of, like, you got to pick a lane. And they tried to have it both ways, and I get that it didn't work for you, but yeah, I don't feel anywhere nearly as strongly about it because I understand that's what they were going for. Okay, that at least explains it in a reasonable fashion that it makes sense to me. Uh, doesn't it make me feel any better about it? Sure, but I, I get it. Yeah, that's a totally reasonable take that they failed in doing that, but I'm pretty sure that's what they were going for. So let's reel it back to the beginning. Okay, Pinocchio's alive. He sends him off to school. First thing he does is sniff a pile of shit. Right? What was up with the giant turd? What was up with that? Why do they have to put that in there? Yeah. That was a weird decision. Like, I get that they were trying to show he'd never been outside his house and didn't know what anything was. But there were a million other things he could have gotten lost in. It didn't have to be horse shit. Didn't have to be poop. (laughs) It didn't make any sense because I thought, okay, they were going to do some kind of stupid joke where he leaves the apple and accidentally grabs a horse poop. And they didn't even do that. So I'm like, what was apple? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 going. When when my brain broke is when Honest John called Pinocchio an influencer and then suggested he change his name to Chris Pine. Yeah, that was a way to date your movie, right? Also, uh, as much as I love the visual design for uh, the island, the bit where they're very obviously trying to do uh, cell phones bad where they've got all of the screens with kids calling each other names. I was like, that's a little on the nose. The whole Pleasure Island was... Nice. All right, here we're going to... Well, first off, there he doesn't get captured because he's a stupid young boy, like in the original. I'm catching stupid boys. <laughs> no, it's just this weird dog catcher machine that he just happens to get picked up by because he's standing there at the moment. He hasn't made a bad decision. He hasn't. He just walked out of an alley at the wrong moment. Gets picked up yeah. by this machine. They take him to the island, and oh no, you're drinking sarsaparilla. <laughs> well, like, and all the kids wanted to get picked up and go. That's the thing. They all want to yeah. go there. It's like uh, Pleasure Island looked pretty damn cool. You know, root beer fountains. They got all the candy you can eat. Oh, they're breaking stuff. They're breaking. They're busting out those windows and taking all that, which is literally there for them to do that. They're not doing it out of malice. They're doing it because that is the whole reason for the place to exist. Nobody, I don't know, I guess in the original Pleasure Island, they're smoking cigars, they're drinking the beer. I mean, and they're acting like acting like jackasses, busting stuff up. I mean, 
I know Disney doesn't want to have like, oh, here we have kids drinking, here we have kids smoking. But if you're going to put some sort of story that if you make the wrong choices, you're going to pay for it, show them making the wrong choices. I, I don't know that uh, that it's a good take to say they didn't make wrong cho- choices when they're burning down a school. Just saying. But it's like going to one of those those rooms where you break stuff and you pay somebody to break things, uh, but then you get arrested because you broke stuff. Yeah, and I think I, it's what Mike's going for. Yeah, this I, place was built for them to burn it down. It's supposed to be temptation. It's It's, again, representing it. But he, but Mike is right about how like it, it wasn't a bad decision that brought him there. And if you're trying, hundred percent. If you're trying to make this a movie about morals and bad decisions, like, well, then don't make it a, just a happenstance that he ends up there. Yeah, the you're, fact you're always, that it's you're paying you for being one. in the wrong place at the wrong time. That we'll... that I have no issue with. I think you're hundred <laughs> percent right on that. It is weaker that uh, he got there through no fault of his own, through coincidence, than yes. the original. But you no, know, the I, smoke I, monsters were pretty scary. Like, what is the message you're trying to send? Don't stand on the corner. <laughs> Don't stand. Don't accept rides from sketchy strangers. Don't. I mean, right. Well, fuck you, Uber. <laughs> right. I mean, and I, I saw a couple of reviews of this and as I was getting ready for it. And one guy online, he's like, when I saw this as a kid, I wouldn't even look at a stranger after seeing Pinocchio, man, because I know they're going to take me to that island. They're going to turn me into a donkey. That's what's going to happen. You know, there is a cautionary tale on this. I, you know, he gets picked up. Smoke monsters are scary. But the whole thing with all the stuff with the smoke monsters and everything kind of then they go to Monstro and they get eaten by Monstro. So Pinocchio's not like doing any redemption thing. There's like rescuing Geppetto because he's already been eaten. He gets eaten with him. And that whole hap- that just happens way too fast to be any sort of like they they probably could have cut the whole monster thing out and not have changed anything and then saved a half an hour on this movie. There, there definitely were some choices. Like I said, I expected this to be shit and it was only not very good. Like I I can't say that uh, I I thought that this was a great retelling. It just didn't descend to what I expected considering how hard people are dunking on this. Now they managed to make Tom Hanks boring. Well, I think Tom Hanks was just like approached while he was on set. Like, hey, Tom, want to put on a fake beard and come over yeah, and you, knock you, out a couple lines? You okay. Want a couple million dollars for a week worth of working with some CGI? It's eh. me, a Geppetto. All right, good job. Go home. We'll CGI the rest of you. <laughs> now, I think we kind I, I kind of feel bad about this because I think we jumped the gun on this and should have waited to December when the Guillermo del Toro one comes out because that looks messed up. Well, yeah, this is Disney to Disney, though. Like, yeah. I, I would have argued if we had waited, so... This is but fine. you said, I mean, there are a hundred other Pinocchio versions, so we could find a version of Pinocchio that's closer. Because I feel like the Guillermo del Toro might be closer to the original source material. Oh, yes, please. Let's do more Pinocchio. Well, I'm oh. just saying we could revisit this with a different Pinocchio that's a little closer to. I'm going to say you're going to get some pretty hard pushback on that. Well, I'm just saying, Mike, you know. Keep it in your back pocket. I mean, I don't know how they made a story about making a puppet come to life boring, but they sure did. Yeah, let's let's see. Let my puppets come or meet the feebles, you know, something where they make it interesting. Everybody was so, what? like, oh. I don't say relaxed. I don't say relaxed, but like, eh, it's a talking puppet. Oh, we can bet we can make some money off this. No one freaks out. But then again, it goes, right? you got a fox dressed up in clothes walking around talking to people. Like, the rules of this world are just very weird. Yeah. 
Like, like, I mean, a cricket can just survive underwater forever, you know, and just breathe and talk. Like, physics don't exist. Well, and a cat that's apparently got some sort of mental issues uh, opens his coat, has three hammers on one side, and then a hammer on the other side that it can barely pick up. But he's been carrying in his jacket the whole time. Uh, that's that did make me actually kind of laugh. That that was a funny oh, scene. But it's like, how, how is he carrying this around? But then all of a sudden, it has weight. Like before that, it didn't have weight. Right. That that was a like a, a a cartoon moment in a movie that didn't have any other cartoon moments. Exactly. So it felt out of place. Now, if the rules were established that you know, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay, then yeah, cartoon rules apply when you're in Toon World, Toon Lane, Toon, right. whatever it is. But it's a, it couldn't decide like what kind of rules it wanted to have. Like it has, you know, anthropomorphic foxes, but it's also trying to be, you know, realistic with a big old giant sea monster instead of a, just a weird looking whale. Yeah, it's like the asylum was like, hey, get, can we loan you Sharktopus? Can you, you know, buy anything? <laughs> I think I found, I think I found a, a Pinocchio for the Ven for the uh, Guillermo del Toro one. Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night. Oh, I thought it was returned to Pinocchio. Dark. We're going to go Dark Pinocchio? Dark Pinocchio with the voice acting of Ed Asner, Tom okay. Bosley, Jonathan oh, Harris, James Earl Jones. What? Ricky Lee Jones, Don Knotts, Frank what Welker. the hell? And Scott Grimes as Pinocchio. Scott you know, Grimes? Okay, oh. you know what? I'm kind of in, in, in a weird way. <laughs> and I was going to say, do we really need to make a, a, a them that no one has ever heard of? But at it least was those a, actors. It's a filmation people. one. Yeah. Good. Interesting. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not 100% against it anymore. With that That's cast. where I am, too. I still don't love the idea, but I'm not, I'm not 100% against it. Like I said, Mike, put it in your back pocket because we may change your mind once you've got a little distance. It was yeah. directed by Hal Sutherland, who did, oh. who this was his last movie. He also did. That's not a good sign. Uh, the old Batman and uh, Superman cartoons, and also 1982's classic Gilligan's Planet. Okay, oh. yeah, you, need, you need to stop talking now because you're, <laughs> you're shooting yourself in the foot at this point. Oh, yeah. What else have I got written down here? Uh, Smoke Monster, Magic Tears. Yeah, right. Yeah. What the hell was that? I definitely, I, I know Patrick is uh, the one who usually complains about this, but when you've got the fake out death that everyone knows isn't death. Yep. It, yeah. it was a little irritating. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, we all know he's not dead. Come on. Let's just get it over with. Yeah. Do the thing you got to do. And that's, and that's kind of like what I liked in the, in the first one when Pinocchio's dead on the bed and Geppetto's crying and he sits up and he's like, Papa, no, Pinocchio lay down. You are dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was, I watched this in reverse order, uh, cause Laura kind of wanted to see the new one and was like, eh, I've seen the, the original enough times that if we don't have time to see it, that's not a big deal. Well, we ended up watching them back to back, which was too much Pinocchio, but <laughs> we watched the new one. Um, when Geppetto's like, okay, I'm going to go find a Pinocchio. He's it's late at night. It's a rain. And then my mustache is all a thingy dingy, whatever. <laughs> He grabs the cat and he my grabs the fishes all the thingy dingy. <laughs> my touch is all the thingy dingy. He grabs the fishbowl. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember how the fish. Did, he did how does he have original. a fishbowl inside of a whale? Well, and that's just it. I'm like, I oh yeah, I remember that in the original. He was inside the whale with the fishbowl, and I thought right? that was weird. Both it's times. How does he have a fishbowl? It's like how does SpongeBob have a campfire under underwater? <laughs> Same thing. Well, why did he take the fishbowl to begin with? You know why? Because he came out, hey, I'm gonna go find my wooden son. Can you watch my fish? Screw off. No. Well, 
But when we watched the original, he didn't take the fishbowl with him when he went out looking for Pinocchio. In the original, but he had it with him on the boat. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had it. Remember when he when they watched they because Pinocchio doesn't survive the encounter with Monstro, but apparently the fishbowl does. Well, okay, so my brain wasn't totally, and I was kind of half paying attention because I'd seen it, you know, before as a kid. But he didn't take it out with him when he went out looking for him in the nighttime, though. So I don't know why they added that part, but I guess because. Once he left home, he wasn't coming back until he had his his uh, wooden boy. There's nothing like a bond between a man and his goldfish. Sexy goldfish, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I guess if my goldfish could bat its eyelashes at me, I might be a little more inclined to like. <laughs> Patrick, has it been that long? Yeah, never. I, I, I'm gonna go ahead and stop that sentence right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rethinking my whole statement. <laughs> oh, wow. Whew. Yeah, so uh kind of a strange f- place. Thumbs up, thumbs up, <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down this one. Yeah, I think we're there. Hmm. I will give I will start off with a cool thumbs down for both. That's not surprising. Uh, yeah. Saw that coming. Uh I'm gonna go with a probably pretty obvious thumbs up for the original. And as much as it pains me because I want to defend it because I, I think it's getting dunked on too hard, it's still gotta be a thumbs down for the remake. I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would, and I think people are being unfair to it, but it's not actually very good. It's just not worth the retelling. The, the retelling that they did is not worth the effort. Some of the Disney live-action remakes have been well done. Yeah, the Beauty and the Beast one, I, I, if I remember correctly, I liked that one. It was pretty okay, and the uh, Jungle Book was legit good. Yeah, I agree with that. But that's Favreau. True. Right? Yeah. Although he did he did The Lion King, too, though, I think. I haven't seen that yet. But anyway... Anyway, uh, for the original... Uh, Lion just, King was pretty good, too. It wasn't great, but it was pretty good. The original, for its its place in history and its uh, its animation, I'll give it a reluctant thumbs up, even though it's not one that I ever, ever need to watch again at this point. Kids are grown, uh, and I'm not doing another show about this one. And uh, the new one, there's parts of it that I found enjoyable, but there was just not enough of it to... Yeah, yeah thumbs down. Uh, not surprisingly, thumbs up, thumbs down for me. I mean, my thumbs down for the now is not like a, you know, fuck this thumbs down. But it's it's just basically, it's definitely not a thumbs up. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at, too. Like, I, I wish I could give it a thumbs up, but it just did not earn it. Yeah. Nope. There were too yeah. many problems. So, like, if you have your thoughts about this or maybe any one of the other Disney live action remakes, like at some point we're going to get to probably Little Mermaid. Uh, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And if you're looking for our back catalog of shows, you can find them on your favorite podcast app, such as Blueberry or Pandora. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear about us. You can leave us a review on Apple, Google, or Amazon Podcasts. You can give us a thumbs up on those. And you can support the show through the Kofi link in the show notes and help us keep hosting costs at bay. So, Joel, what do we have coming up? Uh, well, we're going to be uh, talking about some Elvis song. Uh, some Lord of the Rings versus the Rings of Power, Quantum Leap, oh boy, and uh, Call of the Wild, among a bunch of other stuff. Just the list keeps growing. I did not realize this, another one of those things, but um, Suzanne is apparently a huge Quantum Leap nerd. Like, we watched the opening trailer, like the two-minute trailer for it, and she was already pointing out, like, this is what's different from the first episode of the <laughs> series, this, that, and the other. And there's like, in this one, he actually did this. And that I was like, where is this? This is just like when she got into the Dukes of Hazard. I'm like, where is this coming from? <laughs> you know, like, we've known each other for 26 years. She's been married talking to- about all the all the Duke, Duke boy cousins. Yeah, I mean, that's about right. how she was with that. Anyway, but yeah, 
So yes, we have Elvis and Lords and Leaps and Wilds and all that coming up. Wow. Oh, did you mention Beavis and Butthead? We're going to be doing that show too. There's oh. just so much stuff on the list. I just I, <laughs> I didn't want to read it all. Yeah. And Octobu's on the way. Octoboo on it. Shut way. up, Mike. <laughs> Sharktopus is on the way to rival Quinn. Oh. On that note, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Did she say Aqualung? Has anything happened yet? Did she say Prince Andrew? And his movie? I thought she said she porked the stogie. I don't know what the hell that means.